Hey everyone, it's Tom Kradza with another episode of the Your Life, Your Terms show. Uh, Nick and I are just crossing paths, so he wasn't on this episode. He's coming back from Orlando and Disney with the kids. I'm off to Jamaica tomorrow, so we've crossed paths a little bit on, I think, the last couple podcasts, but we'll be back together soon. This podcast proved to be technology nightmare between myself and the guest, Chris Haroon. Uh, he was having Wi-Fi issues. It's the first time we did one that not in person, but Chris is such a great guy. He lives um, just outside San Francisco in Silicon Valley. Really wanted to uh, interview him. We've been friends for a really long time. So we decided to try Skype, uh, tried it out of our office. Uh, the connection was horrible. Rescheduled it. To, uh, to today, the day before I'm leaving to uh, off to Jamaica with the family, and uh, he had all sorts of Wi-Fi problems. And then my my mic setup for my home office arrived from Amazon, but I couldn't get it all working in time, so I was reduced to doing this on my son's PS4 headset microphone combo thing that I plugged into the laptop here. So um, I think the audio is coming okay, but during the recording, I just want to give everybody a heads up. During this recording, um, Chris did cut out a few times. It's not our best audio, um, but the value of talking to Chris is always, I think, exciting. He's a really passionate guy. He gets into it pretty strong right at the beginning. He starts even speaking French, um, so it gets a little crazy in a good way. Um, but Chris Haroon and I have known each other for, I don't know, it's got to be over 20 years now. Um, I've seen his career evolve, kind of lost track of him over the last maybe five, six, seven years. And I didn't even quite know how much he was doing on Udemy.com and being an instructor and just how many courses and how much content he's producing. So this episode is really a story of living life on your terms. And he took it to the extreme. You'll hear even a a course he made for kids on that very, uh, on that topic. Um, And so it's just a great story of somebody finding their own path. And I love it when people share their frustrations in life and make changes and kind of do their thing. I think it's it's motivating still for me to hear. I think hopefully it's motivating for all of us. So this is what I would call a, you know, a your life, your term story with Chris Haroon. Um, Great guy, tons of experience on Wall Street in New York City. He was a hedge fund guy and then basically tossed it all all out of the window to do his thing. Um, He gets so passionate. He does, there's definitely some swearing in this episode, just to give you a heads up. Some F-bombs are thrown around to give you a heads up on that as well. Um, But he does talk about his story and I, and I, I really think it's a it's it's a it's a great journey so we're going to flip back to some real estate kind of specific and economy stuff on upcoming podcasts so the next few that we have lined up specifically nick and i are planning to talk about the economy and some data points as real estate investors we need to know this information just as canadians we need to know this information about how the economy is running these are some of the topics um, and data points that we look at so that's coming uh coming your way i'll uh I'll be gone for a few for a few days, um, as I mentioned, off to Jamaica with the family. But when we're back, we'll be releasing a, a couple more po- podcasts pretty quickly out of the gate. So stay tuned for that kind of stuff. And we're also going to be bringing in some of the real estate investors that we worked with, um, some rock star inner circle members to share their uh, journey and how they bought properties and the lessons they learned about real estate investing and that whole bit. So that's coming down uh, your way really soon. 
Um, in the meantime, if you want real estate specific information, um, there's rockstarinnercircle.com, our website that has a ton of information on it. Um, there's rockstarinnercircle.com forward slash books where you can get digital copies of our books. If you want to come to our next training class in our Oakville office, you can go to canadianrealestatetraining.com. So that's canadianrealestatetraining.com. If you want to learn more about the Rockstar Inner Circle membership, you can go rocks, uh, to rockstarinnercircle.com forward slash member. So you can check out all that kind of stuff um, there. But enough with that. Let's get on with this discussion with Chris. Are you ready to live life on your terms? Is it time to take charge? Real estate, business building, the economy, health and nutrition, and more. It's the Your Life, Your Term Show with Tom and Nick Carazza. Are you ready? Let's go. So, Chris, I'm I'm pumped to have you on the phone because I can't even keep track of you anymore, dude. I checked you out when when I was preparing for this. I went to uh, Udemy. I did, I never know if I'm pronouncing it properly, but u d e m y dot com, and I stuck in the name Chris Haroon, and I thought you had one course on Udemy. Uh, Chris, what are you up like? I wanted to get everyone to hear your story, but when I put in your name, I I, I went to the Chris Haroon like profile page. I, it tells me that you have two hundred and fifty thousand students on Udemy, forty five courses, and thirty one thousand reviews. Dude, God. we have not spoken in a little while. What are you? Up to? <laughs> you know what? We awesome. we spoke we spoke probably two years ago, and you told me that you were doing the uh, your first Udemy course. But you're mm-hmm. on to like how many cor- how many how many courses of those forty five like are they all just people taking them like wildfire or are, are some best sellers like what what's happening? Yeah, no, no, thanks, Tom. First of all, I really appreciate your time, and it's always great to catch up. And before I dive in, I just want to quickly mention that I, I'll never forget it at your wedding. Uh, back in uh, 2001, your brother got up there as the best man, gave this empowering speech, and he talked about how you are a lot like Tony Robbins and, and inspire people, and you certainly inspired me a lot over the years uh, and helped me to take you know what, what I love doing and start teaching others. So thank you for that. Uh, and I'll tie in the fact that I, I actually met with Tony Robbins uh, after I attended one of his seminars a, a couple of years ago. Uh, and he also inspired me to, you know, live my life on my terms, kind of like you, you, you speak about prophetically. And I completely agree with you. And so I woke up one morning and I thought to myself, am I happy doing what I'm doing? Um, you know, I, I was working in venture capital, which was a fun industry here in, in the San Francisco Bay Area. But it felt like a job. And I told myself that morning when I woke up, you know, if. If, if you get out of bed in the morning, and this, this goes for anybody, listen to this. Uh, if you get out of bed in the morning and you tell yourself you're going to work, then with all due respect, you're doing it wrong. You know, you need to, you need to find your passion. You need to find your, your raison d'etre. You know, what is your purpose in life? What drives you? What makes you want to get out of bed and thrive and do extraordinarily well? And there's this great quote from Mark Twain where he said the two most important days in your life are number one, the day you're born, and number two, the day you find out why. And for me, you know, I've, I've worked on Wall Street. Um, I, I have a, 
bunch of degrees, whatever, it doesn't really matter. But I, I've worked in venture capital uh, and I did all this stuff and I, I started a hedge fund and I managed over a billion dollars. And, and I realized I, I wasn't really happy. I wasn't happy. And it's not just about chasing money. It's about doing what you're passionate when, about. And when did you find out people. you weren't happy? Like wh when did you wait? Like, yeah. did you, when you found out you weren't happy, did you wake up and say, oh my gosh, I just realized I haven't been happy for the last five years, 10 years? Or did well, it you, it, I, I where, where was it when you, wh yeah, yeah. Like, were you in the hedge fund world already when you realized this? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I remember when you, when you and Carol came to visit us in, in New York and I was like, working at Golden years ago. Um, I remember explaining to you what I was doing and, and I, and I was thinking along the way that I'm just not happy doing this because I'm working for somebody else. And, and Tom, I'm going to, I'm going to curse. I'm, I apologize, but you're good. I, I woke up, I woke up one morning and I realized I don't want to be someone else's bitch. And <laughs> I, I know that's a little bit know. harsh, but, but I it's... just, I want to work for myself and it's not about money. It's about helping other people. And, you know, I, I do a lot of charity work here in the Bay area. And, and I started teaching these poor kids that uh, in, in this, this town here called East Palo Alto, where the high school graduation rate is only 40%. And a lot of them had deadbeat fathers, you know, there's no such thing as a deadbeat mother, but I started teaching them. And I thought, I, this is what I want to do. I want to help others. I want to serve others. I want to help others. And so I started teaching them. And then I started, uh, I was teaching at night as well at various uh, business schools like Stanford and Berkeley and other schools here. And I woke up one day and I was like, you know what? I'm going to throw up a camera and record what I'm teaching because the problem with education and school is that you go to university for three or four years, whatever, <clears throat> pardon me, you graduate and you're like, oh my God, I don't know how to do the most important things in life. Like, how do I network? How do I present others? How do I, how do I find a job? How do I manage my personal finances? And I thought, you know what? Education is broken. There's got to be a way to teach it practically. And so that's what I did. I set up a camera at home and I started recording myself teaching. And <laughs> the first camera, and Tom, I think you saw it when you guys came here, but I, but I had a, a small setup in our, in our bedroom here when I first got started, I put a camera up and <laughs> did, you have a backdrop? did you have a backdrop even? It, I mean, it was just just a wall. My yeah. wife saw the my wife saw the camera and she said, "Honey, this is not happening." I'm like, "No, no, 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 no! I'm making a video. I'll, I'll leave, it at, leave it at that." And I started recording, and it started taking off. And then, um, you know, BusinessInsider.com profiled the course, uh, and I called the course an entire MBA one course, and it it turned into a, a really big business. And I translated it into um, eleven other languages around the world. And it wasn't about the money, Tom. It was about helping other people and th the thing is when you when you really want to help other people and there's some sort of business element to it you can thrive you know and and i look at at geniuses i've met in my life you know like like mark benioff who founded salesforce.com here or there's other people you know like like bill gates or or sir richard branson and they don't have a job they have a passion and one thing that they all have in common is they don't give a damn what other people think of them. And that's one of the most important revelations that I discovered in, in my career doing this. The most successful people in the world are great salespeople, of course, but they just don't care what other people think. There's no insecure element to it. They just do what they want to do in life. And, you know, if you, if you chase money, you'll lose your money and your dreams. But if you chase your dreams, you know, 
Okay, so the I just, money will, I, the, I, the money the money will come back. Okay, so I, I want to just it, challenge it, you yeah. on the pull passion thing sure. a little bit because I agree sure. with the yep. passion thing because if you don't have, I kind of struggle with that message because I agree mm-hmm. with the passion. You need the passion to get up and feel happy every day. I think what drives mm-hmm. both Nick and myself for at Rockstar is the 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 idea that we're hopefully having an impact in people's lives beyond just the process of buying a property, right? Just buying mm-hmm. a single property or single investment that we're having a bigger impact than just that. And that kind of drives us. But the fact that we have coupled the process of doing that with a real estate brokerage makes enough money to make the passion work. And so when I hear people say like, Tom, I'm just going to follow my passion. I always kind of struggle with, you know what, just make sure you can map your passion against some, some money-making activity. Otherwise, you might not even be able to support yourself. And to- totally I just fair. want people to – no, and I, and I know – and I'm just interested in your answer to that. Like, yeah. how would you no, tell no, no, somebody – like, what would you tell someone to focus on if they said, I, here's my passion. I'm going to do my passion. Chris, I hear yep. you. I'm going to – I can't believe you threw in some French, by the way, on your on – your, on your, <laughs> that was hardcore. That's the Canadian that, in that, you. That's, that's the, the Canadian in you right there. By the way, I know a couple other French words from, from Rush songs, like, you know, plus la chance c'est la même chose. You know, the more things change, the more the same. Oh, yeah, anyway, no idea sorry, what that on. means. Okay, that's yeah, all you're, I know. You're, you're on, here please. past my Je m'appelle Tom. Um, but uh, <laughs> that's what I got from grade 11 French. Um, but uh, but how, what, what do you tell people? Because I struggled with that personally a lot. Yeah. And what, I, what my guidance is, is, you know, hey, study sales, study marketing, apply these marketing principles to your area of passion. Um, yeah. there's, a, there's a pretty good book out recently. I think you probably know the author. Um, I think it's Cal Newport, but I might be wrong. So good, they can't ignore you. And he kind of mm-hmm. talks about mm-hmm. like, you know what? Put your passion aside and just get good at some marketable skill. And the yeah. idea mm-hmm. that you can help people, like you just said, Chris, mm-hmm. with a marketable mm-hmm. skill, the, the, the satisfaction that you'll get from helping people with whatever it is that you choose to focus in on and get good at, will Mm -hmm. kind of create your passion. So I thought that was an interesting kind of angle. So what do you tell people about like finding your your passion? How do you map it against some money-making activity? What's the thought process? Yeah, Yeah, no, that's that's a a great question. Well, well, first of all, when when it comes to, I have three boys. Uh, They're great kids. Uh, They're like sons to me. (laughs) Sorry. Uh, But (laughs) when I, when they, they ask me, what should I be? I, I, I'm not, I'm not that dude that tells them I want you to be a doctor or a lawyer or an engineer. uh, Like, like a lot of parents. I'm like, do what you're most passionate about in life. Do what you love doing. And you know what? If, if you work for somebody else, which you will initially, don't just learn what to do. Learn what not to do while you're working for them. And what you can do on the side, and this is what I did for years, is I started businesses on the side. I did it many, many times. And what I even did was at work, and not my most recent venture capital job, but earlier – I had one of those screens that you put on top of your laptop so that when you look sideways, you can't see what someone's typing. And then what I did was I had a Mophie device where I would connect uh, wirelessly to my device in case, you know, the corporation was tracking me. And I started lots of companies on the side. And I didn't do that only during business hours. I did it actually if, you know, I, I worked for somebody that believed in FaceTime and said, you have to stay over dinner and work here or lunch, whatever. And during my lunch breaks, I started lots of companies. So what people don't understand is that Anybody that's successful in life following their passion has failed more times than you can imagine. And so I started many companies on the side and I kept trying, I kept trying, kept trying. 
And then finally, a couple of them worked out well, right? But it, it came from frustration. And so when you follow your passion, just to tie in your question here, you know, it's, I'm, I'm not saying blindly quit your job and, you know, jump off a, a cliff with, and throw airplane parts over and try to assemble that airplane before you land. Which, which is sometimes you know, what it feels like, let's face it. But yeah, oh my God. I, I hear you. Yeah, yeah, no, I hear you. Yeah. No, you, you, you got you to gotta kind of just keep starting these companies. And anybody that's extraordinarily successful, you know, following their passion has failed a lot. You just don't know about it. You know, I'm 46 years old and people say, oh my God, you, you, you did well with this pretty quickly. And I said, dude, I'm a 46 year overnight success. I mean, it took that years for me to kind of follow my passion and, and, and say, screw conventional <clears throat> society part of me at working for other people. You got to start multiple companies to make it. And if you look at any author that's very successful, my kids love that the Harry Potter series, JK Rowling. I mean, she, she was rejected 20 or 30 times before she finally secured a contract and she was sick of being a secretary working for other people. And God bless her for that. But we don't realize that she failed you know, 20 or 30 times chasing her passion. You got to keep doing it over and over again while you work for somebody else until it finally works. And uh, when you work for somebody else, your heart is never 100% into it because there's BS and politics and bureaucracy involved. I think you know what I mean and red tape. So when you work for somebody else, you're 70% engaged with them kind of. And then the other 30% is you always thinking about ways to start your own company. And I hope that a lot of your listeners are frustrated at work, the ones that want to start their own companies, because frustration leads to, to breakthroughs. Frustration leads to reinvention. You know, find the reason you were put on this earth. You know, what, what's your passion? And by working for somebody else and experimenting a lot on the side until finally a business model takes off and you can leave and follow your passion, which has some monetary element to it, then all the power to you. But it's never done overnight. It takes a while. And anybody that's successful, like Bill Gates or even Steve Jobs, you know, they, they failed at companies before. We just don't know about it. But so, they did. so to give everybody context, what you went to school here in the Toronto area, on the west side of Toronto, you then went to University mm -hmm. uh, McGill, correct? Yeah. And then yeah. after McGill, you went to, wait, let me get this straight. After McGill, did you start working for Goldman in New York after McGill? No. Well, I was, I, I worked at a, a Accenture. I mean, Accenture. Accenture. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. You worked Toronto. at Accenture. And then when did you go yeah. to New York? I forget. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Accenture sure. so, to Goldman. Is that how it worked? Yeah. I, oh, I went to, um, I went to business school in the States uh, and that's how I got to, 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 to Goldman Sachs. And it's, it's Tom, it, it's really interesting because I, I, I read this book by the Dalai Lama which, which I you know, suggest all your, 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 your viewers or listeners uh, uh, read as well. It's called The Art of Happiness. And that book had a prophetic impact on me when I was in New York, right? It was right after 9-11. It was awful, man. I, I, saw, the, I saw the whole thing, right? It, it, was, it, it was terrible. Um, and and, and I, I picked up this book by the, by the Dalai Lama. Uh, and, how, uh, how, close were you, how close were you to the World Trade Center? Yeah. Um, so I, I worked on the top floor of the most southern building in Manhattan, uh, and it was awful. Dude. And were you, the first, in the, you evacuated out of that building into Battery Park, didn't you? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what happened was um, I worked on the training floor. I think it was the 49th floor. Uh, and then the, the first plane hit. And we looked out the window. And those buildings are so massive that it looked like a tiny airplane hit it. I did the sign of the cross. And I thought it was a tiny plane. And we, we kind of went back to work. And then wow. 
the, the next one hit and, and initially we thought, well, oh my God, did the building fall over? But we saw it and you could almost feel the heat outside the window. It was awful. And, and then we, I remember we had to evacuate and we walked down 49 floors and I remember women took off their high heels and no one was saying a word. They were walking slowly. And I heard a lot of sniffing and crying. And then we went to, to Battery Park, um, which is the park, as you mentioned, right by um, uh, where I worked in New York. And, and I took my team with me and we hid behind a wire fence. And it was kind of survival tactics at the time because I, I thought that the building was going to fall over and not down and in, I thought it was going to fall over and millions of people were going to rush towards us and push us into the river. And so I, I had my team hiding behind a, a fence. And then what happened was the, um, the building fell, of course, we saw it all happen. It looked like a deck of cards. It was so sad. And then um, we were covered in smoke for a couple of hours because the wind was blowing south. Right. And so the whole world knew that the terrorist attack was, was, I guess, almost over or whatever, but we didn't. And it was a couple hours of, of sheer terror um, just just sitting there and no communications worked. The, the only thing that worked was um, Blackberries, believe it or not. God bless Rim. Uh, and so this this guy, uh, this stranger had a Blackberry, uh, which was still working. And I remember just survival tactics. I, I, we, we heard airplanes going overhead and we were everyone was screaming because we thought there were more attacks. But that was the U.S., you know, the, the, the Army and the Air, Air Force, whatever. But I borrowed this guy's Blackberry and, and I sent a, I sent a Blackberry to my mom. Uh, who lives in Mississauga, and it's survival tactics. I said, Mom, I, I think all the airplanes are going to be rerouted to to uh, to Pearson or whatever, so just p- please be careful, uh, and, and I'm okay, by the way. Uh, and, and so, you know, I was I was hiding out there, and every time airplanes go over, we'd scream, and finally the air cleared Holy up, uh, and then we saw, like, an opening in the sky, which was, um, you know, we saw a couple uh, Air Force jets, and then people started cheering it was like that that movie air force one or something i don't know it was scary and 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 i mentioned all this and i'm sorry if i'm rambling uh but it was kind of a you know big a, a, had a big impact on me um i i went home that day i walked up to, to our apartment on the upper east side um and 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 i had that book the, the art of happiness i started reading it and i thought you know what dude Think people have things backwards, myself included. I'm a hypocrite for saying this, but he had, let me summarize the book in one quote. He basically said the problem, Dalai Lama said, the problem with Western society is that we, we sacrifice our health, our entire lives to chase money. And then at the end of our lives, we sacrifice all of our money to maintain our health. And then we look back and we realize that we never really lived to begin with. And that had a big impact on me then. And it took me a while to realize that you can't chase money. You got to chase your passion. And yes, you will fail many, many times. But keep trying. Keep trying. Never, ever give up. And Michael Jordan, who was cut from his high school basketball team, had this epic quote. He said, I have failed over and over and over and over and over and over again. And that is why I succeed. When you when that when that when that I'm just curious about this whole 9/11 experience. When the sky cleared yeah. up, did you walk? You were living on the Upper East Side, or at least that's where I remember you were living. Did yeah. you walk yeah. then? And then, like, did Christine? Did you get in touch with Christine, your wife, to tell her? Like, how did she? Because there was no communication. So did you just walk home? Like, did it take a couple like an hour, a couple hours? So when did you get home? Yeah. Like, what did you do? Yeah. After the, I'm just curious. Yeah, 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 for sure. So. What we did was we actually walked um, – I walked uh, – if, if you're looking at Manhattan, Manhattan, think of it as, as a big like oval, oval shape. I'm at the bottom of the oval. 
I walked to the right side of the oval and then up because uh, the left side was closer to where the Twin Towers were. And so I, I walked and there's an empty highway, uh, desolate, like, like a post-apocalyptic. It was scary or whatever, obviously. And, and there was actually a bus. One bus was operating. And I'll never forget, the lady was really nice. She, she opened the door. She said, get in. And there were like a bunch of other people on there as well. I got on and it was a packed bus. Uh, and um, you saw the worst and best of humanity that day, just people wanting to help others. And I got off the bus at, I guess, halfway up the island at, at around 50th Street, whatever it is. And I walked over to, to, to Central Park to get my wife because she worked in, um, in, in Trump Tower uh, at the time. And I'll never forget what I saw. And it's close to where that epic Apple store is in the bottom right-hand corner now of Central Park. But uh, there was thousands and thousands of people looking up, right, and not saying a word. And I was like, oh, my, what the hell is this? It's like World War Z, what is this? And so I, I, I looked up, and they're all watching CBS. It was a huge TV. Um, and, and I saw the, the graphic attack on America. <clears throat> and then I was I was walking up to um, <clears throat> and her, her building was evacuated. So I figure she's probably at home now. Um, I, I can't communicate with her. Uh, and so I, I, I walked uh, and um, I, I remember I walked by Central Park and there was there were a bunch of police officers um, in front of a, a synagogue. Uh, and and, I, and I, I didn't know what was going. I still didn't know what was going on. And I remember there was this this guy was there and he had he had a, a pack of cigarettes and I don't smoke but I bum one off him and oh my god it was an amazing cigarette <laughs> I remember at the time it just I know it's a little crazy but but I got home sorry if I'm rambling here no it's uh, okay I I, I I got home and and I still actually had my undershirt wrapped around my uh, my face because um, we couldn't breathe down uh, below where where I guess just all the, the asbestos soot, like crap the smoke was, yeah. yeah okay. Yeah. And, and then I went home uh, and, and I, you know, I, I gave my, my wife a hug and her friends from work, Stacy and, and others were you know, from Calvin Klein, where she worked, were, were in our apartment. Um, and then it was it, 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 it was terrible. You know, I obviously I said prayers and everything. But that night I I had to set up a trading floor uh, in my little apartment, on the Upper East Side, because uh, the, the New York Stock Exchange, the Toronto Stock Exchange, all the um, you know all of our exchanges here were closed for a, a while, uh, rightly so. But the Japanese market, the Nikkei, was open that night. So they didn't shut it down, and so a lot of my clients um, they wanted to liquidate their portfolios and in international stocks they owned uh, in, in in Japan. And and I remember I had to I had to uh, connect with them using my Hotmail account to send um, I guess to send uh, the, the the trades back and forth. It was just a, it was a weird time, Tommy. It was it was it was awful, but it it had a big impact on on me and you know just my my outlook on on, on life and whatnot. It took me a while to finally you know finally finally make it. I don't want to say big, but little. Uh, and, and and I remember I um you know I, eventually a, a big hedge fund hired us hired me whatever. And Christine and I we moved out west. Big hedge fund called Citadel. I was like okay good. I'll, I'll leave New York. I'll, I'll have a family out here. Uh, and then I started a hedge fund, uh, and it was in 2008 when I started my own hedge fund, and it was ridiculous, man. We were within 24 hours of bank machines not working. I know that you understand the whole fiat currency thing way better than I do, and I was like, oh my god, this is crazy, this is nutty, and and people were manipulate. People don't realize this, Tom, but people were manipulating the system, like. There were hedge funds here, you know, big investment firms that bet against companies that were hiring actors to line up at banks in New York City. 
to fool the rest of the world and think wow. that those banks were going belly up and they were profiting from it. And you know what's even more disgusting about, about this and money? I'm sorry if I bring this up again, but 9-11, if any of your um, your listeners are um, – if they're if they're interested in stock options or you know which basically means betting that stocks are going to go up or down by buying calls and puts, but you can Google this and you can have your your viewers Google this if you want your listeners. If you actually do a Google um, on the option or people the number of people betting against American Airlines and United Airlines and Delta a couple days before 9/11, it was an all-time yeah. High. I've read I've read a few books kind of that break that down in in it was minuscule scary. detail that that is scary it when was, you it see was, that people scary. were shorting it before it happened yeah somebody, yeah. Yeah, and it's, yeah. And, yeah and i'm so sorry one, one more thing just to wrap up this 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 long thought of mine apologize for rambling is that um all this stuff together you know leads me to believe that it, it's you can't it, chasing money is it, alone and not having a purpose in life is the most unsatisfying thing there is and if you don't believe me, then, you know, go to a park, Lakeside Park or whatever it is, to reference another Rush song there. <laughs> but if you go go to a park on the weekend and you will see a lot of poor families sharing a meal together and they're so happy with nothing because all they need is what they have. But if you go to an expensive restaurant, right, uh, in, in Toronto, look around at the people dining there and they are not going to be as happy as those that have nothing. I love your That's passion all. when you're just talking about the stuff. I'm starting to get amped up hearing you talk about this <laughs> stuff. But uh, no, well, but dude, you, you know, you're yeah. right though. The chasing money thing, I never understood yeah. that because I, I was talking about uh, this with, with my brother recently. I said, you know, I, and I, I might have read this line in a book, but I think after I got to the point where I didn't really have to look at the price on a menu to eat the meal that I wanted to eat at whatever restaurant I was at, that was really more than enough money than I would ever like once you kind of got to that point where you're like okay I don't really need to freak out about this restaurant I can order the steak and I'm going to live I'm going to be able to afford it to me after that point it's it's kind of a a nice way to summarize on how much money you really need in your life because after that point you're not that much happier anymore yes you know I find that like if I could get the meal I want hang out with the friends I want during that meal life is pretty perfect at that moment you know, and after it, that, so, there's really so not true. nothing else. Yeah. But you, it, you said so something, true. you said something earlier about frustration and I tell everybody this when they're talking about finding their passion and stuff. I'm like, you know, finding your passion is kind of cool, but you know, what's going to drive you further faster is frustration. And that's what you brought up too. I think yes. Tony Robbins brings this up all the time as well. And really yes. what you also said was about failing in business. I start, I, I think, you know, this story, I started something called sales in the city.com. I don't even, I remember. You, okay. You remember my brother. I, well, Nick, dude, you, you Nick were, laughs you at this all the time. Nick laughs. You were Groupon. You were Groupon. Sarah go, Jessica Parker. Where yeah, yeah. Been? I told, I told, I told Nick. I go. Um, so for those of you who don't know, I started this website, and the idea that I had it was I was frustrated at my job at in uh, this was my early days at Oracle, well before I quit. Um, I was frustrated in my job. I went to Cuba on vacation, and I I turned to Carol and I said, I want to start a business. I just need to figure out what people want. So I wasn't focused on my passion, which I should have been, Chris. I was just focused at that point on trying to make a business and make money, right? And I said, what do people want? And then it just hit me. I'm like, oh my God, oh my gosh, women want sales. They want to shop and they want to know where the sales are. So I came home, I started like a five-page website with an email opt-in box and it was called Sales in the City. And 
before I knew it, it started going viral. I started getting email addresses. Like I would get like Sally at hewlettpacker.ca or hp.ca or whatever. And then like Jessica and, you know, Chantel and all these, all these women were like just piling into my email list. And I was even featured in, I think it was Chatelaine magazine. I didn't even pay for the advertising, Chris. They featured my website. It started taking off. But after a few months, I hated it. I hate it. I, I started figuring out that stores huh. stores always had sales and that they weren't really these sales that I was tracking. They weren't really like new. They weren't really. It was like this store just always ran a sale. That was kind of like their marketing idea. And so the information I was putting out in my little weekly sales email, I felt really wasn't the best. But I had this idea to dominate Toronto and get sales information for all stores in Toronto and then go bu- throughout cities across North America. But one day, one day, a few months after starting, I turned to Carol. I said, ah, I'm just going to shut all this down 10 years later groupon comes out and goes public for like a billion dollars <laughs> and i joke with nick all the time i go what's a billion dollar idea between friends you know i was, yeah, I was yeah, yeah. Uh, but not only looking back chris not only was um i not passionate about it i wasn't yet the person to create a business out of that idea does that make sense i didn't have enough totally. experience i didn't have the depth of experience the type of experience to really grow that business from just i had the idea but i didn't have anything else and and this is what another point you mentioned that i i try to explain to people that was really beneficial in my personal life was i learned a lot of sales and marketing stuff during my time at oracle yeah. so before you quit pick well, what, up some of these what, marketable what skills what did you learn what did you learn from that experience in sales in the city that helped you today to get where you are I, okay so i learned that an idea in and of itself is almost um, it's not worthless but it's it, it's ideas are easy that systems and processes to create a business are the thing of ultimate value like when that when i gave up on that i looked at oracle i said oh my gosh these guys are brilliant they have, a, they have a marketing team that gets leads for the sales team. The sales team sells the product. The support team charges an annual revenue to support the product over a length of time. Like these, this, these big companies have processes. And so I thought where I failed is I didn't have any processes. I was just like this ad hoc thing. So my next thing was trying to do a search engine optimized website. And to me, that was a process because I could write articles that Google would then index highly. I could then refer the traffic to Amazon, which I did for years and and get monthly commission checks through affiliate checks from Amazon. And that was the first time that I proved to myself, I could actually implement a process, a business process. And then it proved to myself also that the process was more important than my idea because my idea at that time was digital cameras. I didn't even like cameras, Chris. I just I remember me- your website. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. I didn't even <laughs> like it, but I realized that, oh my gosh. So I, I'm not passionate about digital cameras, but because I have a good process around it, unlike sales in the city, I'm now making money. Like, you know, Carol and I were making thousands of dollars a year off that for several years. For maybe, I remember. For maybe like a decade, I forget. And, and then that taught me the power of a process. So then when I ultimately, right before I quit Oracle to start Rockstar with Nick, we mapped out a process. Not only did we find something that we thought we could get passionate about, like helping people, our, our idea was like, let's get people in the middle class to create assets in their lives that are financially going to support their future. And real estate's been good to us. If you do it right, we think it could be due to, good, great to a lot of people. But mm-hmm. let's not just quit our jobs and like 
ad hoc start helping people. Let's map out a process on how we're going to attract investors, how we're then going to support investors, what we're going to communicate with them, and how we're going to have their backs through the lifetime ownership of the property. And it's not that we're perfect at this by any means at Rockstar, but that's the process that we had mapped out before we quit. And then when we mapped a bit of a passion project next to the processes, that was the fire for us, Chris. That's when it went like we zero clients. I mean, I don't know if I told you this, but the last three years, Rockstar has been on Canada's Profit 500 list as one of the 500 fastest growing companies in the country. That's three years running. We'll likely be on it again next year. I'm not sure, actually, but I think we are. and yeah, that's, that's all. So it awesome. is. It's nice. Yeah, it's cool and cool. But it, it's it's back to your point. It doesn't even matter because we just like what we're doing. You know, yes. like we we just like You're, what we're well, doing you, now. Well, and and so, I hear I hear the I hear the passion in your voice. Like it's yeah. so it's it's it, it makes me fired up. Like yeah. I talked to you this morning. <laughs> I was I was actually kind of a little down out, whatever. But uh, I, I just feel so effing fired up right now just talking to you. And and passion is it comes through if you love what you're doing. You're yeah, going to be successful yeah, yeah. in the long run, yeah. even if you fail a couple of times, which I have, of course, yeah. you will make it eventually to the extent that, and Mark Cuban said this beautifully. He said that ideas are commodities, but institution is not. And we learn over the years uh, by starting ventures, which aren't as successful about how to execute. And eventually our passion and our salespersonship or whatever you call it shines through and there's no looking back. Yeah, yeah. Hearing you say it, I feel slightly, sometimes I, I do feel slightly embarrassed after I get all kind of, you know, into it like that. And hear you say it, I'm like, oh, geez, I'm just losing it. But yeah, no, you're absolutely no. right. So listen, I, w- I want to ask you, once you moved to sure. California, I mean, you were, you started, um, it, it was a hedge fund, you're, you're, mm-hmm. you're right? And, and then mm-hmm. how do you decide, to, like, that's like the be-all and end-all for somebody moving to the West Coast in Silicon mm-hmm. Valley, starting a hedge fund in a tech world, and then you then go and decide to leave that. So that, pro, like, you just, you just decided, I'm still frustrated, I'm going to go record this course in my bedroom of my house and put it on... <laughs> online and see if people buy it is that like that that was how it went? It was it was well it's interesting it was kind of it, it's it's a, a little bit um a different different path what, what i did was i yeah i started a hedge fund and then i hated it dude because uh it, it was so random right you can't make money in the short run anybody who looks at charts are fooling themselves you won't make money in the short run you got to be long-term greedy you know like like warren buffett and so i said screw hedge funds man it's too short focused i i actually went and uh, I joined a venture capital firm as a partner and I started my own venture capital firm where you could be a, a longer term investor, right? And then I was teaching on the side and what, what really did it for me was, um, I think it was January of 2016. And I, I, there's, this, there's this charity that uh, I'm proud to be on the board of called the Limo Foundation. And what we do is we help uh, kids that come from really troubled backgrounds uh, and we we teach them stuff. We give them scholarships, right? And they go on to do great things because it's really unfair that some people are born with a deadbeat father or whatever it might be. And so what I do is I created a course for them based on what I was teaching in, in classes at night at business school. And I call that course an entire MBA in one course. And it was a Saturday uh, that I remember I spent 12 hours and I taught these kids in one day an entire MBA. Uh, and I'm not here to market my courses at all. Uh, but what happened was the, the kids, which ranged from nine years old to 17, they learned so much and they learned so many great tools. 
Uh, and they, they, they were, I can't believe how focused they were on me when I was teaching. Like they, they didn't even blink the whole day. They were loving it because these poor kids didn't, didn't have anybody caring about them their whole lives. That gives you and energy I, too, does it not? Isn't oh that my, great? Dude, yeah, yeah. It's the best. Yeah. You know, when you get up there and you totally. Yeah. Uh, and, and so I thought to myself, this is it. And I gave a, a, a TEDx talk on, on I call it TEA, how T can fix every problem in the world. That's TEA, technology, education. I was just watching your talk. And, ex- yeah. and acceptance. Thanks, man. And, and, and basically, I realized that that's the answer to everything. It's education and technology and acceptance. And you know what? All you need to do is have a browser and access to, to the internet. And you, if you don't have a browser, you just go to library, right? And you can put on a headset at the library for free and you can learn anything you want and real skills because the BS we learn in school, like supply and demand graphs and calculus, like you never use that crap in real life. These are life skills that, that people that have experienced failing, like I have many times can teach others to be successful. And that was the fire in my belly that got me excited to do this. And I knew it was the right move, um, not just because I was helping these, these kids. And, and I now have students in every single country in the world. But I, what really... What, some of your like, courses I, look like they're translated, Chris. Do you have courses oh, yeah, in yeah. Chinese? I've, I've done every, every major language. But but what, what happened, Tom, is this. I, I, I knew it was the right thing for me. And maybe this is the good test for, for your, your listeners as well. You know you found your passion if in the middle of the night you wake up, and usually when we wake up in the middle of the night, you look at your clock, you're like, oh, awesome, I have two more hours of sleep. <laughs> but, 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 when you, but, it, but for me, you, you look at, which for me was the way it was my whole life until, until recently, but I look at the clock, and I was like, awesome, I can get up now, and, and, and I, I put the word work in, in quotes here. I can do what I want to do. And you know what, dude? Life's too short you know, to, to, to live someone else's life. You know, a lot of parents want you to be a doctor or a lawyer and, you know, I, I, no disrespect to lawyers, but or to, to doctors, I mean, but yes, disrespect to lawyers. You know, if, if, if you want, if, if, it, if it pleases you to help others as a doctor, then do it, but don't do it for the money, you know, and, and don't be a lawyer because you're basically learning how to lie. I don't care what anybody tells me. It's the truth, right? Who wants to be that? Be what you want to be. Do what you want to do. When Michael Jordan got cut from his high school basketball team, uh, I, I don't know what the conversation was with his parents then, but if he had told his parents, I want to be a pro baller, I, I wonder if there's any pushback, right? And I think as a parent, the most important th- and mentor, the most important thing that we can do, Tom, is to inspire other people to be confident. If you teach your kids to be confident, you know, not arrogant, but confident, they will do great things. They will do great things. And I want to say one more thing, Tom, if I can, sorry, uh, about about teaching here in the United States. I remember growing up in Canada. I love Canada, man. It, I'm, so, I'm so proud to be Canadian. But I remember growing up in Canada, and I remember in the 80s, I, I love Ronald Reagan, right? He, 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 he was awesome, and I thought I was a Republican. Then I came here, and, of course, I have to vote Democrat because, you know, you know what I'm talking about, but, but I remember, um, <laughs> I remember that yeah, you're in California. 80s. So I think, you're, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I, I, I will, I will go there. Uh, I moved here a Republican. Um, yeah. Anyway, sorry. Um, but, uh, I, I remember the cover of time in Newsweek back in the eighties was, you know, this is the, 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 the fall of the, uh, of the American empire. The, the, the American child uh, is years behind Japanese children or other kids, whatever. I don't mean to stereotype, sorry, but when it comes to, education right and american kids are 
50th in the world in math and 50th in the world in science, and this is the downfall. And I realized something, Tom, when I was here, uh, and this is important, I, I realized that, and I have students from many different countries that I teach in class here at nights. I realized that American students, American students, whether or not they were born in this country, but American students are number one in the world in the most important economic category that nobody talks about. And that category is confidence. Sometimes it gets confused with arrogance, but it's confidence. And if you raise your kids or you mentor others, your peers, whatever it is, people that work for you, to be confident, then watch out, man, because the sky's the limit. The sky's not the limit, I should say. And a lot of American students that I teach, and they're not American, they weren't born here. A lot of them are, are foreign, whatever, uh, citizens, but, but they're here. They learn to be confident. And do you know what confidence is? It's the ability to sell an idea. And I, I have to say that uh, uh, American sales, or Americans are the best salespeople in the world. They get you excited about something, you know, like, like the Hyperloop or the Boring Company, you know, as, as, as Elon Musk calls them, right? And Elon Musk was born in South Africa and actually he went to school at, at, at Queens. Most people don't realize that. He actually went to school in Kingston. Doesn't he have a, a Canadian parent or something? There's some Canadian connection. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And it's funny. He came to, um, I read his, uh, his biography recently. It's interesting. He came to Canada uh, from, um, uh, um, yeah, from South Africa. It's, the reason he didn't choose Waterloo is because there weren't enough women there. <laughs> is that what is? I read anyway. the same book. I think I read the same that's, book. That's I remember what, that's that. what, I, I, I'm, just, I'm just, just quoting him, right? right. But, but let, me, let, me just, let, me, let me pivot a bit here if I can because we're talking about confidence in Elon Musk. The most successful people in business a lot of the times – and the, only, the ones I love to invest in the most from a venture capital perspective are the ones that had something happen to them earlier in life that leads them to believe that they're not as good as other people. And what, what happens, and the reason why these are the best people to invest in is because for them, something happened to them when they were younger. And they want to prove the world wrong. And they don't want to start a company and sell it for only $500,000 or a million or $2 million. They want to create a trillion-dollar company. And it's a pattern I've noticed a lot. And it's so fascinating if you read Malcolm Gladwell's books, right? And, and Malcolm had that great book, David and Goliath. Please read it if you haven't. It's amazing. And the bottom line is that if you feel growing up that you're different from other people or insecure, whatever it is, that's a beautiful gift. And so for Elon Musk, the issue was for him growing up that – Poor guy. He, he had the crap beat, beaten out of him many times. Yeah, he had a rough upbringing. But why, sorry, why is that a competitive advantage? Yeah, yeah. And, and even for a guy like like Steve Jobs, right? Like he was like you know, adopted, which is a beautiful thing, whatever. But he got, maybe he felt he had issues, the poor guy. No, but but sorry, a, Chris, it, it, why, is, be, why is that a competitive because, advantage? Because you want to prove the world wrong. You want to prove those people wrong the rest of your life. Mm -hmm. And these are the best people to invest in from a venture capital perspective because what happens is, again, they're not going to settle for building a company and selling it for only $500,000 or a million dollars. They want global dominance. They want to prove the world wrong. They've got a chip on There's an insecure element to it, and those are the best people to invest in. You said something earlier there, too, that I – so, yeah, I believe in all that. And I – and uh, 
You said something earlier that really struck a chord for me. Some book I read when I was in my late 20s said, if you want to start something um, in your life and you want to have an impact in your community, then your vision must be the size of like the province, you know, or the state, right? If you want to have an impact in your entire province or state, mm -hmm. then the, the, the vision for what you're trying to create has to be the size of your country. And if you want to impact your entire country, then the vision that you have, the dream that you have has to be the size of affecting the entire world. So you, your vision always has to be greater than the impact that you're trying to create because you need it to be that big to pull you up. Does that make sense? Yes. And I always yes. kind of believed in that. And even, I know this is going to sound really cheesy. I don't care. The, the, you know, sometimes I think about the impact that we're slowly having at Rockstar around the greater Toronto area. And it, let's face it, it we're, we're, we're still a small business, but we're having more and more of an impact. And sometimes it, I do let that kind of creep into my thinking that, you know what, it's time for us now to think nationally because I want to help even more people. So our vision must be bigger. Even if we're operating here locally, Chris, if we have a bigger vision, we'll just naturally start to affect more people. And it, it might be a kind of a cheesy way to think about it, but no, I, be right. I believe in it. You know, it's really, it's really really helped yeah. us um i i want to ask it's 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 so true can I, can I, one more thing yeah. i'm so sorry no no but you just the the energy you have just i, I love it and it reminded me of this great quote from another great canadian you know uh, james cameron the, the guy who did avatar titanic all that stuff he said if you set your goals so huge then if you fail you will fail above everybody else's success and so thinking big is it's, it's the most important thing you can do. And I don't invest in companies unless the total addressable market, the TAM, is enormous. It's enormous, right? And for those that don't have experience with total addressable market, it's just the size of how much money every company makes in that sector every year. And most venture capital companies will never invest in a company that doesn't have a TAM or total addressable market of at least $20 billion. And the reason is because if that company is successful, if they get 5% of the market, then that's, that's $1 billion in annual revenue, right? And so I, I always tell people to think big and then think bigger, right? And now with, with technology, uh, you know, the, the sky's the limit. There's no reason you can't have customers in every country in the long run. I'm, I'm obsessed with what you have going. Just to bring you back to Udemy, I know every time I bring it up, you're, you're sharing more of your life story, which I appreciate, but your entire MBA in one course, was that your first course? It has, does it really, it has 17,000 reviews, four and a half stars. <laughs> Is that the first yeah. course you put out? An entire yeah, MBA? Well, that was yeah, the first well, one. One of the first ones, yeah. Okay. So I did, I did one on, <clears throat> on fundraising and, I see yeah, the fundraising, was, fundraising yeah. advice from a successful yeah. venture capitalist. Is that what that one is? Yeah. Um, yeah. And that, and that was, that's very un-Canadian of me to use that word successful. Sorry. No, um, you should be ashamed, but no, no. Chris. But, uh, <laughs> but no, but seriously, Chris, I just got to go back to this. This entire MBA in one course, it's, it, it, it's, it has 17,000 reviews. So those yeah. are people who've bought it through udemy.com, which yeah. is basically an online, um, you can get training almost, it looks like for er anything at Udemy and mm -hmm. the courses are rated and you have that many people who've given you reviews on that course. Yeah. I, I mean, that's, dude, I, I, I'm, I just, I had no idea. I had no, yeah, no idea. How many it's, books it's do you been, have written? Like how many books we've, uh, I've done a poor job of keeping track of everything you're up to, Chris. How many books <laughs> do you have? At, you, I know you had one. Do you have like yeah. multiple books well, now? My, 
I mean, yeah, I've done like 10 or 15 or something, it, but it, it's kind of, it, and it comes in spurts, right? It's like, I understand. Is this all happened when you now. started drinking Bulletproof coffee? Yes, which is something you introduced me to as well, <laughs> right? Not, not only do I have to you mention know, your I, brother, your brother mentioned, Nick mentioning um, you as Tony Robbins as a mentor in his epic wedding best man speech uh, back in 2000, <laughs> I think it was. Uh, I think I said 2001 before. Uh, it, but you also had that impact on me. When you came to visit me a couple of years ago here in, in California, yeah, I got to uh, slow down the way I'm speaking. I'm so excited now. But that was I remember, ridiculous of me. I know I was I was making Bulletproof Coffee in your kitchen. Cause dude! Our, so, so for those I, of you listening who don't know, our family uh, went to visit Chris a couple of years ago. And when I was there, I hunted down grass-fed butter and I got coffee. And in Chris's kitchen, he probably thought I was crazy. But every morning, I'd wake up and make – I'd put in the coffee into a blender – I'd put in butter into the blender and the concentrated uh, coconut oil, like the MCT oil, and I'd blend it all up and I'd have that every morning. And I just remember you, you, I, I remember thinking, I wonder what this guy's thinking of me right now, drinking this concoction. Dude, and, and, I uh, loved it. Everything you do prophetically influences me. And those yeah. that are crazy, crazy enough to think they can change the world are the ones that do. And, <laughs> and for listeners here who want to understand more about Bulletproof Coffee, and obviously I don't, I don't have any state. Neither of us do. We should have. Although, a, it's, we... although it's, it's a Canadian, which makes me damn fucking proud. But the, basically what happens is when you take this stuff, it's like that movie Limitless with Bradley Cooper. You can... It's like a vacuum. You can inhale information. It's like, you remember when you were younger in school and you tried to study at night, it didn't work, but you woke up the next morning and you actually kind of enjoyed this stuff and you were fresh and you can inhale a lot of information. Uh, it, it, it's, it's like that. And if anybody does it, I have to warn you, please, the, uh, the MCT oil, um, if oh, yeah, you yeah, do yeah. it, too uh, much. Just do it. Tiny you know, it, it never had that. Imbi- it's the weirdest thing. So yeah, everyone says if you have too much of that, you'll just run to the washroom. Um, but I it never, and yeah. I don't know what I, I don't know why it never had that impact on me. But Chris, I yeah. got to share with you. I never, I don't know if I broke the news to you. I drank this stuff two cups every morning for two and a half years, and I, I, I wasn't eating enough at the time because it was very satiating. So I ended up losing weight, but I was still going to the gym a little aggressively at that time, huh? and I wasn't eating enough, and I burnt out my adrenals. <laughs> and I had to stop drinking it. And now I, what happened? I stopped, huh. I stopped drinking coffee for an entire year. And just wow. recently, yeah, just recently I started, nah, maybe, maybe six, nine months ago, I started I, having I would, this, get, I would get headaches. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it was horrible. Going off of it, going off it was horrible. What's adrenals? So I'm not, I you know, I'm I'm not going to do it justice. But your adrenal gland, your adrenals are a gland that produce or pump out your hormones in your body. So really, what Hmm. was happening is I had exhausted them. It was like a tired muscle, and I wasn't producing enough cortisol throughout the day to give me natural energy. I was actually becoming dependent on the coffee to produce energy. And this uh, naturopathic doctor that that, uh, actually we just had him on the podcast. It was a great great call, Dr. Cowan. Um, great, great episode. Um, he fixed up my adrenals to the point where I was just waking up in the morning again, my eyes were popping open and I could jump out of bed full of energy. I didn't need any coffee or anything. I was like jumping and he's done a good job of maintaining that for me. But having said all that, I'm a huge fan of Bulletproof Coffee. Um, Dave Asprey, he's, I'm pretty sure he's, he's living in Canada, but he's actually uh, an American dude who moved up because he was in Silicon Valley as well. 
Uh, but he's yeah, living yeah, in Victoria. He's, he's a good guy. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm a big fan of all his products and his message. And uh, I I now save Bulletproof Coffee for when I really need to perform. And then I'll have yeah. one. And it's like rocket fuel. Isn't it like rocket fuel when you have it? Dude, it's, it's like amazing. Rocket fuel. <laughs> and I lost weight too, actually. I, it's, I feel like this is a bad infomercial on my part, not you, but me. But yeah. I remember when I, when I when I took – that was a Canadian me. But I remember, like, I, I, I lost a lot of weight initially because I wasn't hungry. And so what I do now is after I have that coffee in the morning, I actually force myself to to drink one of my kale protein shakes, even though I'm not hungry. It's, you know what? It's probably but, not uh, about yeah. – after what I did to myself, probably not a bad idea. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. You know what ended up happening, Chris? I ended up ha- having a sore throat for over a year that I couldn't shake. And I never associated, yeah, and I brought, I, and it's just because I wasn't eating enough, and specifically, I wasn't eating enough carbohydrates, so when I brought some carbs back into mm. my diet, my throat kind of just, I guess, I don't know if it's the mucus lining around my throat or whatever, but it, it kind of healed up almost instantly, and I've never it's had amazing. that problem, yeah, I've never had that problem again, so there's definitely, for me, and this is where I've learned everyone's unique when it comes to nutrition and mm-hmm. health, um, for <laughs> me, when I was having that, it, because I wasn't smart enough to eat enough, I, my body was just not getting the nutrients it needed. So I think it's probably smart that you're like kind of, it, it sounds well, silly to force the shake. No, but, it, no, it, it's the body's amazing. How self-correcting it is. I, I got to mention my, my, I got my DNA tested a number of years ago. Right. And, and by the way, Steve jobs had his DNA sequenced um, and it cost him a, a, a million dollars. Now it costs like less than hundred bucks, right? It's like Moore's law keeps going down price, but, but I did it. And it, it, it was amazing because the, the DNA tests I did, uh, it said that I have a 67% probability of getting AMD later in life, which is age-related macro degeneration, meaning my eyesight goes down. And I asked my mom about it. I was like, mom, what do you think of this? She's like, oh my God, that's right. Your grandfather had that. Uh, and I, so what I do now is, and I went to an eye doctor, my eyes are fine, but I take this substance. It's this zinc organic substance that basically will make sure that hopefully I never get that disease. And it's like that movie Minority Report with Tom Cruise. Remember that I predicted what crimes people would, you know, whatever, have, uh, commit later in life. Um, it, it's kind of like that. And the way I see it is that if you, I, I take over hundred percent of every vitamin I need every single day. I have like, there's this guy, Ray Kurzweil, heads up engineer at Google. And, and he kind of introduced me to the concept of basically blast your body with every type of vitamin you can without overdoing it. And what happens is whatever deficiency you have in your system will be plugged in the long run. And all you got to do is if you're under 50, and this is going to be out there, Tom, but if you make it to 100 or close to 100, you will live to 150 at least. And the person that's going to live to 150 is alive today. I'm convinced of it. Right. All you have to do is just make it a bit longer and you will you will survive like forever. A lot. I'm not talking about crazy Ted Williams, you know, freezing your, your body sort of thing. But I'm seeing more money right now going into life extension, uh, biotech investments and venture capital than in any tech sector here right now. Right. And there there are going to be unbelievable med- medical breakthroughs coming. Right. Not just. 3D printing of organs and whatnot, but life extension to the extent that people are not going to retire. And when I was a kid in Canada, I remember London Life had that commercial Freedom 55. Oh my god! Yeah, who the yeah, fuck yeah. retires at 55? It's ridiculous. You know what I mean? Like, like people understand. Like Warren Buffett's almost 80. He's still with it. You know, like we're all like Tom, you and I are. We're all going to live into our hundreds, right? It's just it's all about being preemptive 
and taking care of our bodies ahead of time by blasting it with vitamins, right? And obviously, you know, this is the American lawyer side of me. I'm not a lawyer, but just talk to your doctor. For <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is the, also the Silicon Valley coming out in you because I know the tech yeah. industry. I know the tech industry is all over that. And, you know, I believe that uh, with some of the stuff that I'm now reading about and hearing about with this different stuff, how far we're progressing with stem cells and that doctors are mm-hmm. going out of the country. I know on, on Joe Rogan's podcast, I recently listened to Mel Gibson explain how mm-hmm. his 92-year-old father went to Panama to have some American doctors down in Panama inject him mm-hmm. in his hip. I think it was his hip i hope i'm remembering this correctly it <laughs> might have been something else but his hip because he had to have hip replacement or something and he was too old they weren't going to do it they injected him with stem cells and these stem <laughs> cells he's now having his 100th birthday chris that's so amazing. yeah, so the the stem cells allowed him to recover from whatever he was suffering for. Again, I can't remember specifically what it was, wow. but um, but if that research is there today, and you know mm-hmm. I'm 45, you're 47. Yeah, where are we mm-hmm. in 20 years? No, from no, I'm 40, 46. Come on, man. 46. Come I thought you said you were 47. I, I, sorry, no, I'm 46. <laughs> 46. Turning 47. Turning 40. Listen. Turning 47. <laughs> sorry, sorry. 46. I'm just uh, kidding. Yeah. I, I, um, but I, you know, I believe that, uh, the changes in the next 10, 20 years are going to be phenomenal. And I think yeah. it's going to catch a lot of people by surprise. No one sees this coming. So, uh, yeah. Yeah, it'll be interesting. So where, where are you now? Like, so now you're, you're, are you producing courses regularly? This is, this obviously your passion. I mean, you can hear it in your voice. You're producing these courses, putting them on Udemy. You found your, your thing. This is, this is. This is you right now. And I, and I have a feeling if we're all living to 100 or 150, um, we're, you're going to change multiple times. Um, I, I, it's, I, but this, yeah, is, on, this, is, this is what you're passionate about right now? Yeah, it, it's, it's kind of I, – I, if, if it ever feels like work, I walk away. Like I got burned out about you know, two or three weeks ago doing this. Um, just because yeah, well, I got to pace myself. The, quanti- the quantity of information oh, you're putting out, it's, it's incredible. I mean well, well, if it's, you look, it's astonishing. Like if you, no, thanks. I appreciate it. I love you, man. But if, if you look back historically, you know, go back thousands of years, right? And I'm not going to get all biblical or whatever, but, you know, one of the Ten Commandments was, you know, don't work on the Sunday, right? And they knew back then thousands of years ago, it's not a religious thing, that, you know, you could burn out if you don't take time off, right? And, and you can't get that time back with your kids, right? And so I was working too hard uh, and, and, and I was loving what I was doing, but I, I just kind of, I burned myself out by not pacing myself. And so what I did was I kind of took a break from, I'm still doing it of course. Right. But, but I took a couple of weeks and I wrote a book for my kids and it's, it's a, it's a, it's, it's a free course, uh, and I'll never charge for it. Um, you know, it's on Udemy and it's actually the only thing I want to talk about. If that's okay, okay with you. I don't yeah, want to give any coo- coo- no. I don't want, I don't want to, I don't want to make money. Totally fine. Yeah. No, no, thank So, so it's, um, it's a free course, um, called um you know live your life on your terms right and, and of course that's influenced by you right find your passion and it's 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 a course if you go to udemy.com udemy.com just search for my last name h-a-r-o-u-m uh, and then just go to my profile it's a free course don't don't pay for anything but um and so what happened is i, I wrote a book for my kids it's it's a short book and it's a book that helps them throughout their life to have more confidence to do what they want to do. And it's a goal setting, you know, find your passion book. And it's really short. It's an hour and 15 minutes. I made a, um, an audible version of it that you can watch um, or just listen to whatever from udemy.com. And so that, that kind of, it it inspired me to, to just remind myself to, to live in the moment, 
You know, the, the past doesn't equal the future. Enjoy your kids today because you can't get that time back, mm-hmm. you know, and, and just kind of just just pace yourself because I did burn out. I did burn out. But anyway, that's the, the most salient thing on my mind right now or my latest piece of work. It's tough. Uh, so I, to speak, but I th- also think when you get excited about something, you can go all in. And if you don't step yeah. back every once in a while, um, you can definitely hit a wall. Nick and I have both hit different walls over different periods of time. And uh, you just yeah. need the break. That's our, our yeah, it's, it's important to us. I say that as Chris, I'm about to go to, uh, I'm leaving to Jamaica tomorrow. So I'm, I'm excited. Oh, nice. But uh, awesome, cool. Yeah, yeah. So I just want to, I just want to, uh, I want to wrap up with that. Just your story is so cool. You know, going to, oh, thanks, you know, man. you know why? Because you took the, the regular path, right? You, not the regular, you probably took the advanced regular path, but you, you went to school, um, you went to McGill, then you went to, I, I, you didn't mention it, but I know it was, uh, I'm pretty sure it was Columbia in New York. Um, you, you kind of got the wall street job with Goldman. Uh, then you moved to, uh, the West coast, um, started working for a hedge fund, started your own hedge fund, and then kind of woke up and said, Oh my gosh, this isn't for me. And now you're doing this, all this awesome stuff. So just, just seeing your path, just it's, it's, it's motivating to me as well. So it's, you know, you've mentioned you were, you've been complimentary to, uh, to myself and Nick over, over the, our talk here, but it, it's fun to watch you, man. It's, it's been really, I've, I've really cool to see kids. your journey. And, uh, and by the way, my kids still think that, and Carol, we, we always talk about it coming to visit you guys where you live, um, just outside San Francisco and that whole trip. Um, we love coming to visit. So we're going to be coming oh, to visit. Dude, we're going to be coming to visit again soon, Chris. Tom, Tom whenever, whenever <laughs> we're you, inviting whenever, ourselves whenever, over. No, 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 Tom. Like in all seriousness, whenever you come to San Francisco, you always have. Places yeah, to stay. you guys don't know. You so know. for for those no, no, who no, listen, no, I'm not, not finished. <laughs> When I say you always have a place to stay, I mean the San Francisco Holiday Inn. Yeah, yeah, I got it. No, that's what I understood. I understood. That's no, what no, I assumed no, you were no, going to say. You always do <laughs> But let me, just, let me just throw one thing in, right? Earlier in the conversation, um, I talked about the insecurity and in investing in people that are insecure. Um, I, I just came public with this recently. I, I didn't for years in life, but it's, 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 it's actually something I want to discuss. When I was younger, I was like the, the, the seventh or eighth grade. They thought I had a learning disability, and I'll never forget it, man. They they took me to this place uh, in Oakville, uh, Ontario, uh, on Lakeshore called Chisholm, and I remember it was on the second floor, and they were testing me to see if I had a learning disability, and that had a big impact on my life because for years I I thought I wasn't as intelligent as everybody else, I, but I just worked way 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 harder than others. It's like. People like the, 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 the brilliant CEO of, 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 of uh, Cisco, a guy named John Chambers, right? He was dyslexic. And a lot of people that have been told they have issues work extraordinarily hard to overcome them to the extent that they realize later in life, you know what? Success is not about intelligence. It's about hard work, right? And so that had a big impact on me. And it wasn't, I guess, until I read Malcolm Gladwell's David Goliath, where I realized, oh, my God. I'm like, okay, I get it. I get it. Elon Musk picked on as a kid, you know, Steve Jobs, uh, parental issues or whatever. And, and for me, and I am not in the same class as them. But what motivated me over the years was that was that that process of being told that, you know, I, I, I'm not good enough. And I, I had to work extraordinarily hard to get to where, where I've been. And I remember when I came down to the States, a very humble uh, Canadian. I hope to think I'm still somewhat humble. But I remember I went to New York. I was so scared, Tom. I was 26. I worked on Wall Street. Uh, and I remember on the trading floor, I was at Goldman Sachs. I looked around and, and I thought to myself, 
if I don't say anything, people might just assume I'm dumb, but they won't know it for sure. But if I say something, they'll know I'm dumb, right? And so I, <laughs> it kind of motivated me to work harder and harder and harder and harder and harder until finally I had the confidence to say, you know what? I don't care what other people think. This insecurity is not going to hold me back anymore. I'm just going to do what I want to do. And I know that's a lot to take in, Tom, but I want to drop. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't know that about your story. Yeah, I had had no idea. No, nobody, nobody knew it um, until recently, right? But um, there's there's a chart that I want to explain, and we'll just have to all visualize this together. On the x-axis, the bottom axis there is your age, and on the y-axis going up there is give a shit. Okay, and the chart looks like this. <laughs> Pretty sure you, I know where you're headed with this. Yeah, go yeah. ahead. Go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, you, it's hard to, to, to audibly explain, it, but I will. Um, and if you start at, at zero zero, right, the the chart there, draw a big triangle, go up and then go down. And the peak of that triangle is you give a darn, I should say. Sorry. Um, and for a lot of people, it's in their twenties where they care what other people think of them. The beginning of the chart is your age. Remember, X is the age, right? Uh, X axis. The beginning is you're a kid. And I have kids, and they don't give a damn what people think. We go to restaurants, they have meltdowns. They just don't care, right? And then at the end of the chart, all the way to the right side is older people. And, you know, older people don't have confidence issues. They don't give a damn. They just say what they want to say. Everything in between, I call the triangle of despair. And people that care too much what other people think of them don't end up living a happy and successful life. They don't do what they want to do. You know, they, they, they work at certain firms because they want other people to think, oh, that's prestigious. You work there, right? And they get some money and they keep chasing more and they keep comparing themselves to those who have more of them because they give a shit what other people think. If you bypass that entire triangle of despair, you'll not only be much happier in life, but much more successful too. And what I'll say is people like, like, um, I don't know, any very successful entrepreneur you know, right? And I'm going to have your listeners just think of person X, somebody in your life, okay? Think of somebody very successful you grew up with, whatever. You know, it's going to be you in a couple of years, but just think of somebody extraordinarily successful. That person never really cared what other people think about them. You know, maybe they had, they don't care what they, they wear or whatever. They just don't care what people think of them. And that's why they're successful because they live their lives on their terms, Right. Not just doing what they want to do, but just not caring what other people think. Right. They, they don't have to go and read editorials in the, the Globe and Mail or whatever it is to, to get opinions. They just don't care, man. Right. There's no groupthink element to them. They're not insecure. They bypass that entire triangle of despair. And I remember when I was really young, when I was close to, to point zero zero, whatever on that chart, I was, you know, whatever, younger, um, maybe I was below high school. I remember laughing so hard until it hurts. Why don't we laugh like that anymore? You know, it's, I, I don't know. I don't know. You know, it's, it's, you know, Pablo Picasso had this epic quote. He said, every, you know, every, every child is born an artist. The, the problem is remaining a child an artist as you get older, right? You're, you're, you're taught I, to be creative. with. Crayons, I admire you know? when, when I yeah. see people having yeah. a belly laugh, I admire that moment. You know, totally, I, dude. I, yeah, yeah. I remember you, you and I and Carol and Christine, you guys have 
in Mississauga, right by Sussex Town, I think we, we went to go see that movie. Um, uh, uh, that what was that one again with uh, with with uh, oh my gosh, uh, I can't remember. Oh, meet, oh, meet the parents, okay, meet the parents, yeah, yeah, yeah. and we laughed so hard. Oh my god, <laughs> I just I remember how do you that even movie. remember that? Well, Dude, well, I saw that movie with you, and I also saw the um, another Ben Stiller one with whatever years ago, Cameron Diaz. You guys, I remember laughing so hard, and you know, to get to get myself now into a peak mental state, I, I think back on moments where I was extraordinarily exuberant and happy and laughing like that. And the most recent one, I have to talk about this. I love this moment. This is probably the the, the best one of the best moments of my life, if not the best. I'm a huge Toronto Blue Jays fan. I, I love the Blue you Jays are. so much. You I, are. I, Tom, <laughs> yes. Tom, I know you, you are. You got to see my my man cave now, right? I've got it's a Toronto Blue Jays man cave. You know, maybe one of these podcasts I'll give you a video of it. But I've got I've got a, a, an old seat from Exhibition Stadium, which I love because when I was a kid, I didn't know it was a game. It was a business. I thought it was just a game. But the most exuberant, happy moment of my life, and whenever I'm in a crap mood, I think of this one moment. It was not when Joe Carter hit the game-winning home run in '93, which which I went crazy. Oh, that was so awesome. Best moment ever. I'm getting shivers thinking about it. The best moment for me in my life was in September of 2015. I was sitting down here with my three kids and we were watching Bautista that. Oh my God. Against <laughs> I, know, Texas. I know what you're going to say. Yeah. And, yeah, yeah. And dude, yeah. When, when, when he, Oh, when, when I'm he not even a huge baseball that, guy. That, and dude, I was watching that with Aiden. We exploded. Dude. Like I, I, my, my kids, we were jumping up and down. I was actually their age when I was jumping up and down. That's how I felt. <laughs> Laughing and static. And whenever I, I don't feel good in my life right now, I think of that moment. Yeah, yeah, totally. Right? That, that, and, and why can't we have more moments like that? Yeah. Unbelievable, so irrational so exuberance. Yeah, Living yeah. in the moment, not caring about the past or yeah, the future. Yeah, yeah. And you know what? And I hate to say this, but I don't care if we never win a World Series again. And that moment did it for me. That, yeah. that, 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 that moment was special. Time, yeah, that was good. It, it was, it was the best, probably the best moment of my life. My, my kids, I mean, it's just, it was unbelievable, Tom. And, and just, I, I want to feel like that more often. And if you live your life on your terms and you avoid that triangle of despair, you will live in that Batista bat flip moment much longer than you think you should or will. I agree. So I couldn't agree, obviously more with everything you're sharing there. So cool. So, Chris, you know what? I could talk to you about a whole bunch of other stuff. I'm actually the one that has to wrap this up and go. <laughs> um, but uh, I just want to leave every if – if you, if, Chris, I guess the best way to check uh, – if anyone's listening to this wants to kind of just find out more about you, I guess udemy.com, search up Chris Haroon. Um, yeah. That's yeah, the best yeah. way. So <laughs> udemy, U-D-E-M-Y.com. And if you put in Chris, yeah. Haroon is H-A-R-O-U-N. Um, in there, all his stuff will come up. Um, it looks to me like you are the king of Udemy, from what I can tell. No, but, no, uh, no, there's a lot of, lot of people no, no, I get it. I and, get and it. Here's, but... the, the only, here's the only plug I want. It's a free course I just put out, and it's that book I wrote for Yeah, I'm kids. looking at it right now. Uh, Live your life on your terms. Find your passion and set goals. So Yeah, yeah. yeah. Cool. And it, it's, 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 a, it's a very simplistic book. I really poured my heart into it. I don't ever want to make a dime from it, but it's just kind of just – you know, it's, it's, it's find your passion and it's, it's a story. It's, it's a journey. Uh, and do, it basically it's, it, it do, do, do helps you, you find what you want to be. In yeah. Life, it's whatever. so, so yeah. cool. You, you obviously put that together for a reason and uh, now we all get to benefit. So thank you for doing that. Do you know no, that we're going to see man. each other on the Malfi coast this summer? Do you know oh, that Oh, Christine Buckets? 
yeah. Oh, dude, I just awesome. found out too that I can't believe it, but our dates are lining up exactly at the same time. Oh, anyway, so I won't awesome. bore everybody with that stuff, but I we're gonna rent a boat and we got to go down the coast oh, there. I love it. I, yeah, yeah. I I'm, love I'm it. So too. excited. Well, can I share with you one quick statistic? So my, my brother-in-law is. Uh, uh, is, is is Italian, and, and and I remember during the World Cup in, in Toronto, you could open up your window when Italy scores, and you hear everybody. It's awesome, right? Uh, he, he's such a, a wonderful person. But I want to mention this interesting stat. I don't know if you know this. There's more Italians in Toronto than any city in the world except for Rome. No way. Is there? Is, I, is I, that I, well, I, I, you know what? Because I went to school with in Mississauga at my high school, Philip Pocock in Mississauga. I probably went mm-hmm. to school with 70% Italians at my, in my grade. Dude, so, uh, and I miss that because, unfortunately, on the West Coast, we don't have any good Italian restaurants, <laughs> right? Like, you, you like you go to – I remember we, we went out – Dude, Marconi pizza, people, people, and, Marconi pizza in Mississauga is like that, – that's a legendary pizza joint. If you're in the area west side of Toronto, what is that? Burnham, Thorpe, and Cawthor Road, Marconi pizza? That is like uh, the pizza of pizzas. All right, dude. The best food when you're you're, you're kind of drunk, and this is uh, it's. I'm so sorry, I'm going there, but there's no filter no, with me. It's good. It's good. Is you go to you go to you go to Woodbridge, you go to Camisos Rockies, Rock, whatever Camiso I think it was called years ago when I was a kid, and you get a veal sandwich. Oh my god, dude, it is so good. <laughs> and you know what? The, this is Christine and I went out to dinner here when we first moved to California. Uh, and, Couldn't find and any I remember, veal. I remember. I remember. We asked, "Do you have veal?" And oh my god, they looked at me mortified. They're like. Why would you kill a baby cow? And there's, uh, I was, oh my God, this is California. I got to get used to things here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. You got but a green anyway. smoothie. You got a green smoothie instead of the veal. Can't yeah, that's go. one. Now I drink kale. That's my kale smoothies now with my Vitamix. That's, that's cool. what I do. Chris, yeah. I, I just thank you for, you know what, for sharing your story. I know someone's going to listen to this. This is kind of cool that we're able to use this to do, have some of these conversations. This is kind of what we want to do. So uh, thank you for opening up the way you have yeah. and sharing your life no, thanks, like man. that. Really appreciate, appreciate it. it. So uh, we'll wrap it's this up. It's always it's always a pleasure. You've you've had this prophetic influence in my life. You're too kind. Uh, and You're it's too kind. Just, it's so... just surreal, surreal to be able one Canadian to the next just to, to bond like this. And thank you. Cool. Thanks. Hey, it's Tom Kradza again. So hopefully you enjoyed that talk. We kind of got um, maybe a bit off topic and meandered around the discussion um, into different data points. I did not know he was going to bring up his uh, 9-11, uh, 9-11 experience. I didn't know all those details, so that was kind of uh, interesting to just hear how he uh, how, how his day went uh, on that day. Um, so hopefully you enjoyed that kind of talk. Um, we have some new episodes coming out your way shortly. In the meantime, you can hit rockstarinnercircle.com for any of your needs. We're loving doing this podcast so if you have any insights any questions for us around the podcast any topic ideas that you want you can email podcast at rockstarinnercircle.com and that'll get to us so that's podcast at rockstarinnercircle.com and thank you for the feedback um, on the show on iTunes specifically so if you're listening to this on iTunes and you can give us a review uh, that's greatly helpful to us so we appreciate that I think is greatly helpful even proper grammar we're going to go with it Um, so that's it until next time your life your terms 